Hello, and welcome to episode 61 of Shelf Love, a podcast where we have thought-provoking, critical discussions about literature's most polarizing genre, romance novels. I'm your host, Andrea Martucci, and on this episode, we are diving into Jodie Slaughter's problematic favorite trope. Thanks for diving into the deep end with me, Jodie. What should people know about you before we begin? My name is Jodie Slaughter. I'm a romance author. I'm a smut lover, something of a meme connoisseur, and I happen to enjoy some problematic shit. You might call some thieves of your meme connoisseurery. Yes, I'm going to take this moment on this platform to outwardly say that author Katrina Jackson engages in levels of meme thievery that are obviously like abolish prisons, but before that, we should put her in jail for it. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, let it be known. It was said here first. Actually, yeah. it was said on Twitter first, but... Yeah, I'm finally calling her out, like, on a public platform. She's not here to defend herself. I feel fine with the ethics of this, too. We're here to talk about problematic favorite tropes. What is your favorite problematic trope? My favorite problematic trope is alpha holes. Okay, can you define an alpha hole? Sure, I can try. Because I think... What does it mean to you? To me, an alpha hole is, so you've got like this alpha hero, alpha meaning like he's kind of aggressive, he's confident, he's often cocky. Those aren't necessarily the whole part. The whole part is that he's an asshole. So he's mean, not nice, sometimes, oftentimes as well as to like other people outside of the heroine, often to the heroine or rather just their love interest as well. Oftentimes in the things that I read, he's oftentimes like an actual like murderer as well. It's essentially this dude who's absolutely entrenched in toxic masculinity. Uh, yes. As you were saying that, I was like, yes, toxic masculinity. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah. I, yes, I think where I've seen this a lot of times, there's usually a general feeling of using women too. Like prior to yeah. meeting usually the heroine, they have relationships with women, but see them as fairly disposable And we'll get into this. Why? What then happens to this guy? (laughs) Yeah. And in Alpha Hole, is this exclusively male characters? Do you think the Alpha Hole could be applied, at least in its purest form, to a female character? Ooh, that's interesting. I would say no, because I think the gender dynamics are so different. Obviously, we have plenty of female characters who are not nice, who are not kind, who are assholes. And even those who use men in a disposable way, like for sex, etc. But I think if we're talking about like historical context of the harm that men cause in doing this and the harm that women cause in doing this, and that's not to mitigate like the harm that women cause, but Mm-hmm. I would say that in its truest context, I personally have never read one who I'd be like, this is an alpha hole. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what is a romance novel that exemplifies this for you? So this is a novel that both shows all that an alpha hole can be and also that you enjoy the crap out of. So it's On the Edge of Love by Shay Rucker. This book is, it's a romance novel, of course. It's suspensey, it's thrillery, it's got some quiet like magical elements it's an entire series that only has two books in it as of now but 
I'm assuming that down the line, the sort of magical elements that are quiet are going to be discussed, but they're not really ever really acknowledged. There's some, oh, this is so otherworldly, but etc. So the novel follows a heroine, Sabrina. She's kidnapped by this sort of like very wealthy, evil man. He's stalking her. He's like trying to get his hands on her. She does not want that. I can't wait and to hear <laughs> if this is the hero or not. <laughs> no, she, she does not want this man. Okay. She doesn't know him either personally. And then she's saved incidentally by this group of <laughs> mercenaries who they work under this woman. They call themselves mama's brood and they just like kill people, etc. The hero's name is Zeus. And he's this grunty, like rarely speaking dude who like is really preternaturally into knives. Mhm. And to me, he just sort of exemplifies everything. I think he's a little less on the... He's never had any type of, like, real, like, I'm in love with this woman, like, romantic relationship. It's clear that he's just been like, I'm going to have sex with this person maybe and throw it away. And he, he treats the heroine that way, too. He thinks that, like, he has this connection to her and he thinks that once they have sex, that'll be it. And he'll be able to, like, throw her out. Mm -hmm. Like he's done with everyone else. Yeah, he like says things that are just like awful often. Just like, just an awful dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's a really fun ride with these characters. We can use this book as an example if you want to like touch on any specifics. But what about this trope or this character archetype really appeals to you? What buttons do you think it's pushing in your id, let's say, because you and I were chatting briefly before we started and, and talking about how the conversation a lot of times, like we know intellectually we're not supposed to like this stuff. We can identify, oh yeah, like toxic masculinity, but right. there's there's a reason we love it. What yeah. What is it? What's the appealing part? So I think it pushes a few buttons for me. The first one is simple. It's just the part of me that like is attracted to an asshole in fiction in my real life, that's not really the case. And also, as a writer, I don't tend to write these guys either. But I kind of just like a snarky dickhead dude. But there's also the part, there was a conversation on Twitter, maybe a year ago, something like that. And I can't remember exactly who started it and all who was having it. But I remember people were digging into why are we into these sort of things. And someone brought up that if you take people who are the victims of this sort of gendered violence, who are often fall victims to toxic masculinity, and you have them not necessarily like in fiction, imagining a world where it doesn't exist, but you have them as, okay, how can I exist like within this thing that already exists? How can I, for the sake of, I don't know, my attraction still be interested in it? I, I think it comes to like, how can I, tame it in mm. some ways and I think that's what it speaks to for me I think even when I'm not reading alpha holes or writing them I do tend to like heroes even when they're cinnamon rolls they're a little more alpha-esque spicy suppose. cinnamon rolls yes spicy cinnamon rolls 
And and I think that does speak to some real life attraction of a dude who has a strong back who'll build me a shelf and beat somebody up for me if something some shit goes down, which is awful, but I mean that is what it is. But I think that's the thing. That's like the most extreme version of that dude. Mm-hmm. And there's just something that it just taps and you're kind of like, oh, who doesn't want to be like the tamer of a dick? So like, let's talk about the taming. Um, yeah. In On the Edge of Love, you said mm-hmm. that Zeus was the main character? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Zeus, the god of war. His MO is to be a jerk, particularly to women, use them for sex and then discard them not have strong emotional bonds or intellectual or emotional relationships with women. This heroine comes along. What is it about this heroine who tames him? Like why, how is he tamed? What's different? What's the dynamic that conquers him? So I think often in these alcohol stories, if their love interest is a woman, they're often put beside this sort of, Oh, she's so shy and sweet and pure and, virginal which i'm just laughing (laughs) virgins but there's nothing wrong with being a virgin but no not at all and also that's another you know problematic trope that people are into that is i think really cool but they're often oh she's the exact opposite of me and like her purity just whatever that's not the case here his heroine isn't really any of those things she's got a little darkness in her too she's got some trauma and some baggage. She's got a lot of fight in her. She's all of those things, right? She's similar to him in certain ways. They share a similar traumatic backstory with their parents. And also, it all just exists on this fact that there's some sort of preternatural connection that exists between them that he's just never felt before. Mm. But I think if we're talking about alpha holes in general, I think often the case what I see most is that sort of, oh, she's the exact opposite of me. I want to protect her because she's so this and this, like mm-hmm. sweet, innocent, etc. And without getting into the problematic trope that is uh, pure virginal heroines, which isn't, I, I guess my high level is, it's not problematic until you start to see a pattern where every heroine or most heroines are like this archetype. Yes. That's where it becomes problematic because it's basically saying this is the only acceptable version of womanhood. Okay, right. so caveat aside, without getting too far down that rabbit hole, I think what's problematic about that pairing of the alpha hole who then needs to be conquered by this one true love who is pure and innocent, unlike every other woman that he has encountered so far, who has been a deceitful, manipulative, I don't want to use a word here, but sexually promiscuous woman who then gets coded as wrong. Bad, evil, wrong. Yeah. It's it's, it's like a not like other girls to the extreme in certain ways. Yes. And it's weird because we're talking about the hero, but I feel like a lot of it is really the interplay with the heroine, who mm-hmm. is honestly usually not that special, usually. <laughs> no, she is in some ways like a... Just a placeholder? I hate to call her a self-insert type. Yeah. This is something that I recognize in reading a lot of fan fiction, where like you'll create this sort of mold of a character where it's easy for the reader to put themselves in her shoes because she's she's got these traits of what makes a 
in the eyes of whoever a perfect heroine meeting she's sweet and she's virginal or whatever she's so, someone who like you just can't hate but she also I doesn't can. have any well oh, for sure <laughs> but she's she doesn't have any like um characteristics yeah any yeah any characteristics like she looks a certain way she's often always like you know thin and white and Sometimes she's a blonde. Sometimes she's a runette. I think rarely probably a redhead. That's um, too spicy. That's too spicy. Too. That's way too spicy. She's got freckles that like play out along the bridge of her nose or just whatever. But, and so obviously those are what they tend to be physically, but personality wise, she's just nothing in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think then the alpha hole, the whole purpose of the heroine in an alpha hole situation is as you're saying, creating a proxy for the reader to put herself in opposition to this force that many of us experience, perhaps in less extreme or distilled ways in real life, you know, where women are dealing with toxic masculinity all day. Sometimes it's not extremely overt, but it's there and allows that reader to become a character who conquers not necessarily through any actual inherent specialness that is apparent, but just by existing, they conquer yeah. and somebody else sees how special they are and changes for them, which is a fantasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely, I think it's like the height of a fantasy because that sort of just isn't real. But I think you definitely hit it on the head when you were talking about it exists where obviously like we all as women, as people who face like gendered violence, we're, we are the victims of some version of toxic masculinity every day. So not all of us have, I think very few of us have a, a billionaire boss who is cruel to us and who blatantly has sex with other women in the office while we can hear or whatever, or who like rescues us and guts someone with a knife right in front of us. Mm. Um, but <laughs> it doesn't, I think when you're, when you put when it you, that way, uh... <laughs> it's hard to, obviously as people who maybe identify as feminists, you spend a lot of time thinking about what's the way out of toxic masculinity. But I think the reality of it as a day-to-day -day is it, it feels bleak. It feels like there isn't a way out. And so when you feel like you're boxed until there's no way out of it, the question in fiction is not to always necessarily imagine a world where it doesn't exist. It's to imagine a world where you don't have to fall victim to it or you can change it in your life specifically it can be because it's often like the hero quote unquote changes but he doesn't change for anyone else he just changes for her mm -hmm. he's just nice or not nice to He'll, her he will be violent against other people to protect her yes he yes. will he will be <laughs> cruel and unrelenting in service to her yes which uh, speaks on another thing for me that I think to go back to another button that it pushes for me, I tend to be less into the straight contemporary alpha holes. I don't tend to enjoy them much. I don't read billionaires. So I don't know. I don't read like the college romances or the sports romances, et cetera. I tend to like more like thrillery suspense romances with them because it, it speaks to me about like justice and who gets justice, who enacts justice, and so a lot of my, especially like on the edge of love, ultimately what happens is that the heroine does 
get justice for wrongs that are enacted upon her by other men who are also incredibly entrenched in toxic masculinity in different ways. And she gets justice and she gets justice at the hands of her hero killing this guy for her. And I think in a world where like people who face gendered violence, what does justice look like? Are we getting it? I would say, I think justice looks like different things to different people, but I would say that more often than not, we're not getting it for Mm -hmm. things that are wronged against us. And so I think that hits another little button for me. I totally took notes on that as I was reading All Things Burn, which is a novel by Jodie Slaughter, (laughs) where, yeah, no, it was totally this, like, the system does not protect me. I have to take matters into my own hands. And then the character in that both takes justice into her own hands very literally and figuratively. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting. I think that when we think about gendered violence and people feeling unprotected and wanting to conquer this injustice, I'm just thinking that the method that alpha holes basically are putting forth is an idea of proximity to power, proximity to male power, proximity in a lot of times to white male power. Mm -hmm. And I think this really gets to why for me, in addition to sort of like the stereotypical tropes that are problematic, right? Like a guy who is mean to everybody except for you. Is that a nice person? Probably not. So as soon as you start to put this in real life, it's like, ooh, this really starts to fall apart. That, That doesn't seem super romantic. But even if you just think like big picture, what is the solution that is being presented here? It's that women don't have power themselves. Marginalized people don't have power themselves. They have to align themselves with a greater power, which is almost always a man or a white man specifically. Yeah. So that, so when you put it that way, it feels even worse. It feels (laughs) even worse. Yeah. Yeah. And the purpose of this conversation is not to yuck anyone's yum. Like, this is not to say you can't or you shouldn't read books with alpha holes, but just to sort of unpack, like, why does this keep coming up? And it sells incredibly well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So if we look at the market, like, I I think that citizens of Twitter always need to remember that the discourse on Twitter is not the larger discourse. And that there's a whole lot of people who are sitting at home reading, buying these books, who they're just not out there feeling like they have to defend what they're reading or excuse it. They're just reading what they want to read. I feel like sales are really interesting because a book with like a really blatant alpha hole might get poor reviews, let's say, where people who are like, I can explain why this is a problematic trope and blah, blah, blah. But there are people who love it, people who are reading it and can't get enough of it. They sell gangbusters. Yeah. I wonder if you have any insight into that. I'm not an author and I don't always have the inside scoop on these things. Is this just a truism where authors are like, oh, if you want to write a best-selling KU book, do blah? I think that's maybe a part of it. There are plenty of authors who write to market, which is not a bad thing in and of itself, definitely. But I think you're right. There's a huge audience for this. And I also think that I think that most of those readers, I don't know that they're going around calling them like, oh, I love alpha holes. They're just like, I oh, I love this I, billionaire. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even when the books, the, the heroes in the books are not technically classified as alphas or alpha holes by the authors, they still are. 
So I think this is a trope that exists in more than just the most blatant things like books we talk about on Twitter or the book I mentioned, etc. But I think that's the thing is that people want it. And especially, and if you're a writer who likes it and who also enjoys it in some way and who's good at writing these characters, I've tried to make Callum it when I first started writing it, Callum Byrne and All Things Burn, there was an attempt maybe to turn him into an alcohol and I just couldn't <laughs> do it. So obviously that didn't happen. But yeah, I think people want it. Yeah. And it sells. So. so yeah, there's obviously a lot of people who really enjoy it. This is speaking to something, some desire that they have, whether there are some people obviously who see like, mm, that's problematic. I, I shouldn't like this, but they still read it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh gosh, yeah, no, I hate that. That's a guilty pleasure, but you still read it. And yeah. And I don't think that the conclusion of this is, okay, now that if you've listened to this episode, now you should stop <laughs> reading right. it. I think the point is just that I think the more we're sort of aware of what's going on, the more we can question that desire. And again, like not suppress it, yeah. just question it. Yeah. I think that's absolutely an incredibly important part of it. I I have no interest in consuming the alcohol books uncritically I don't have an interest in not being critical of myself for liking them obviously I still do I was just in a way gushing about this other book but it's important for me to be like okay we're thinking about all of my own experiences and all of my own traumas as you said there's obviously a part of me in fantasy that desires a certain proximity to a person who can easily commit a specific type of violence on my behalf for my safety in a way that I haven't been able to do for myself in a way that nobody I know has been able to do for me in a way that like I've never been able to find any actual justice for the things committed against me. I think that's ultimately what draws me to it, especially if you consider the type of like, alcohol books I read that are often like yeah it's very rarely just like a man in the office who's an asshole it's often like some like truly like I'm a killer or a mercenary or whatever I think I'm not saying I want that but yeah <laughs> but I think that's the that's wielding extreme power so I think the yeah. the corporate version of that is the billionaire because it's not it's not my middle manager alcohol yeah that's not attractive no, it has to be nope. the most powerful. They can get away with being an asshole because people are scared of them. People know that they wield this financial or physical power in the case of yeah. a mercenary or a hitman or something. Yeah, it, that's exactly it. Like no one is creating alcohol books about the general manager at the call center. Yeah. that have any power, even though that's who like most of us are like dating in real life and who are in love with in real life, like a regular great dude but yeah it's absolutely about power and obviously that power male power specifically and as you said that white male power is it's extreme mm -hmm. it's like absolutely a thing of he's either like a billionaire who's obviously we know that billionaires are awful but he's got this power and dominion that you couldn't even imagine or some parts of the ultimate power which is like he takes lives literally mm -hmm. he decides so. who lives and dies yeah, exactly. I think I'm going to end all of these with, well, I think we cracked that nut wide open. 
that sounds good to me. I'm so glad I could have a coherent thought on it. We actually got into it and now I'm like, wow. Yeah, no, I feel... (sighs) Jody, thank you so much for being here and helping me crack this nut wide open. Where can people find you and what's coming next from the Jody Slaughter? So you can find me on Twitter sharing memes constantly or also tweeting about Twilight, another absolute alcohol, Edward Cullen, <laughs> the first one I ever loved at Jody Slaughter at Twitter. And then on Instagram at Jody underscore Slaughter. There are some things coming that I can't talk about right now, but as like the smart people say, watch those spaces. Watch those spaces. <laughs> Lots of good, exciting things. I was listening to a podcast episode this morning on a walk and heard something interesting and relevant to this discussion with Jody. The clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst being interviewed quoted Robert Stoller as saying, we take what is threatening and turn it into desire. In previous episodes, most notably episode 41 with Maria de Blasi, We've discussed how throughout time, romance novels have been a safe place for marginalized people to play out fantasies that center their concerns, explore their desires, and share narratives of a more just universe. But these narratives are still bound by the structure of the world in which they are published in many ways. I think that what we see in these narratives with alpha holes is a world that is sometimes just as brutal to marginalized people as the one we live in and is a mirror of the problems people face in a patriarchal, racist, unequal society. What's new in this fantasy is that in a heterosexual pairing, our heroine gets to wield the alpha's power. Of course, what that means is that she still doesn't own the power herself, but she does bring the owner of that power to heal. This brings me to a crucial element that I was reminded of after our conversation, groveling. To build hype for this episode, I created a Twitter poll about alpha holes. Rhyme Animal noted, and I quote, my dislike at myself for loving alpha holes is equal to the love I have for alpha holes. I may love them because I want the hardest, most gut-wrenching grovel possible. I want to see this jerk face on his knees with fat crocodile tears rolling down his cheeks, sobbing for love." End quote. What is a grovel if not the alpha bearing his neck to his mate? Seeing the alpha destroyed, brought to his knees, and forced to denounce his toxic masculinity, well, sort of, by validating emotions, love, family, etc. All values that are anathema, to those who embrace toxic masculinity. It's the ultimate catharsis for the reader. Our heroine, and by extension the reader, have conquered, through the proxy of the alpha hole, these violent and painful forces that the reader experiences in their daily lives. And I want to say it again. Although she holds power over the alpha hole, the heroine in these scenarios is still not the subject of power in the greater world. She has access to male power, But if they're not together anymore, she doesn't get to walk away with that power. So it's important to separate this fantasy from one where there's a more equal balance of power between people and relationships, and also generally in the world that's created in the story. So as I mentioned, I created a little poll on Twitter, and I got 373 votes in 24 hours. Obviously, Twitter is not representative of the world at large. Uh, This is not scientific, so take this data with a grain of salt. The question was, alpha holes. 
that's it. And the options were yes, no, and maybe. 28% of people said, yes, I appreciate these people's honesty. Another 28% said, maybe. I'd interpret this group to basically be yeses, but they wish they didn't like it. 44% of respondents said, no. I'd assume at least half of these people are virtue signaling. But seriously, thanks for filling out my minimalist survey, and I actually found lots of the responses in the thread to be interesting looks into how people define alpha holes, what they consider to be trope subversion and or acceptable ways to use the trope, and also a little bit around if women can be alpha holes. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to episode 61, and thanks to Jody for joining me. All the links to find Jody Slaughter online, aka the spaces to watch, are in the show notes. You can also find all episode information on shelflovepodcast.com along with transcripts. Next week, Jayashree Kamblay is back to discuss My Beautiful Enemy by Sherry Thomas. You can hear the first part of my conversation with Jayashree about all the different ways one, and I mean I, can study romance in episode 60. Another past episode you might enjoy is episode 31 with Cherish Reed. We read Jody's book, White Whiskey Bargain, which is a marriage of convenience romance about bootleggers in Appalachia finding their own justice outside the law. Jody was not lying when she said that there was a theme that appealed to her. If you have any thoughts on the show, I would love for you to reach out to me. You can send an email to andrea at shelfluffpodcast.com. This episode is produced by me, Andrea Martucci. Thank you to Shelf Love's editorial advisory board members, Katrina Jackson and Tasha L. Harrison. Your wise counsel makes this podcast better. Although Katrina, it'd be really great if you stopped stealing Jody's memes. Black Lives Matter. Stay safe, stay mad, and keep reading romance. <laughs>